Welcome to the Williams Investment Management podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the Ukraine, touch on inflation and interest rates, and finish with regard to cryptocurrencies. And today, there's me, Duncan Williams, Robert Ash, and John Newsom. As with the most recent podcast, I think we'll start yet again with the Ukraine, and I suspect it will be a, a theme which will continue for some time. So, John, what about the latest developments in the Ukraine? I don't think much has changed, really. The Russians have been unable to achieve their, their main objectives, so they've switched to looking at the two eastern provinces of Lugansk and Donetsk. So they will put all their resources into there. That's what I'm expecting. That makes it difficult for the Ukrainians to, to hold those lines. But it's, I think it's really an admission of failure on Putin's part that he's had to um, narrow those objectives. So it looks like a stalemate and it's going to go on for quite some time. And that obviously has uh, all sorts of ramifications with regard to grain prices, fertilizer prices, oil prices. So I think it's going to be more of the same. I don't think this is going to be sorted out next month or the month after. I think it's going to be going on for quite some time. Uh, It's aggravating all the things that have been building up, all the excesses that have been allowed to build up over many years with regard to uh, money printing, the deliberate reduction in interest rates and all, all that that means also for, for, for oil prices, which uh, there is now little incentive for oil companies to go out and find more oil. And yet, um, what a surprise, global demand is still growing. So um, if you've got a supply curve that's shifting one way and a demand curve that's going the other, only the kind of people who sit on central bank monetary policy committees c- couldn't work out uh, what it means for, for energy prices. Well, it's interesting because the last few days, the Russians have been cutting back on gas supplies to certain countries. Italy, Germany have been suffering. Finland's been suffering. What do you make of that? Again, it's an, it's another uh, admission, really, that militarily they have, over the piece, failed. So they have to move, move the war, in inverted commas, or special military operation, I think we should call it, onto another footing, which is economic. So wherever they can hurt those countries who they were expecting to stay in line, they will do so. But again, that's a second layer of, of problems with regard to energy. Yeah, it's somewhat worrying. And I note that Germany, for example, is um, recommissioning some of its coal-fired power stations. So that isn't going to please the Greens that much. Well, this all happened in the wake of the um, Fukushima Japanese earthquake disaster. And Germany decided to decommission its nuclear industry. So we can now see what a what a terrible decision that was. I don't think they have any choice, do they? Historically, they've burned a lot of brown coal called lignite, which is very dirty as a as a, even for coal. So they've tried to um, get rid of that. They're still burning it. 
if you've decommissioned your nuclear industry and then you're reliant on Russian gas and, and, and oil, you've got a massive problem. I don't think Germany has any real, real option but to restart that. And the other thing is that some of the gas which comes from Russia is very specialist gas. I didn't know there was any difference. But BASF, which is the massive German industrial company, was saying that it, it relies on Russian gas and it cannot be replaced by liquid LPG. LPG, thank you. Well, Putin will use that as a weapon, but my guess is that there will be gas from elsewhere that would fit the bill, but of course, you've got to transport it. All these things are aggravations to the high cost of fossil fuels. I don't think that's going away. The world cannot transition off hydrocarbons in the timescale that has been um, sort of generally accepted, this wish list of, of decarbonisation. It can't happen. The fact that politicians have driven this rather than actually having a, a sensible discussion as to, as to what a reasonable time scale is, they've all fallen into line. And I mean, I think I'm right in saying in this in this country, there are not meant to be any new vehicles beyond 2030 using internal combustion engines. That's another timetable that will have to slip. But the problem is, I think we are now in a period of pretty much permanent high oil oil and gas prices. The fact that BASF will have to get it their, their specialist gas from somewhere else. I, I don't know much about that story, but I know, for example, that Iran, as an oil producer, still has to import a lot of oil to distill its petrol because its oil is, is really heavy, which isn't good for petrol manufacture. So it is something that happens with hydrocarbons. And John, you touched on interest rates and inflation. The US central bank increased its interest rates last week by 75 basis points, indicated that there's a further 75 basis points increase. And the Bank of England put its interest rates up by 25 basis points. It has indicated they might have to go up in bigger lumps in future. It would appear that we're somewhat behind the curve with the retail price index running at 11.2%. Well, what, what more can we say? Uh, Andrew Faley rather than Andrew Bailey. I mean, I think his performance has been lamentable. It doesn't surprise me that he says that. Has he got anything right? Has any of that committee got anything right? I wouldn't trust him to tell me it was Monday. I get the impression in the States that there is a disconnect between what lenders charge in the States and what the central banks charge or what the interest rate is, i.e. the lenders, the mortgage rate in the States now for a 30-year mortgage, which is the standard, uh, is now 6.3%, having jumped 50 basis points last week. Car loans are also going up rapidly. In this country, we seem to be a lot more connected to the Bank of England base rate. Mortgage rates, variable mortgage rates, are sort of sub 4%. I just wonder what's going to happen and whether interest rates will start to be pushed higher by lenders in this country. I would expect that to be the case. Things tend to happen in the financial sector in in, in the US a lot quicker. If you go back to the financial crisis, remember that phrase jingle mail, where people were just sending their keys of their houses back, because once you send the keys back, that's it. It finishes. It goes into foreclosure and they'll just immediately sell it. So I think everything adjusts a lot quicker in the US than it does. It tends to do in Europe. But of course, their rates have gone up a lot quicker. Our rates haven't. I mean, for Bailey to put it up by, or for that committee to put it up by a quarter, well, what what are they doing? You're either trying to get on top of inflation or you're not. But the fact that the Fed has put it up by three quarters of a point in one lump tells you just how wrong they've been.
And it's creating a, a weaker pound, so we're importing more inflation. Well, exactly. This is what happens when for years and years you get it wrong. Instead of putting interest rates to where they need to be, you put interest rates to where you want them to be or where you think they should be. And committees of academics should not be left to decide what the real value of money should be. The market will quite happily come up with that, with that number. And the fact that they have made such a hash of it is reflected in the fact that the Fed, for example, has just put it up by three quarters of a point in one lump and is saying they're pretty much going to do the same next time. Against a background with Ukraine and with growing energy demand, but pretty much falling supply, it's a tough background anyway. But so we're having to do this against a terrible background. And um, I lay the whole lot of it fairly and squarely. Interest rates and and monetary policy were never normalized after the financial crisis. Now, I, I get why those things had to be done. But from about 2012, interest rates should have been normalized and we would be in a much better position now. What they've actually done is left economies hooked on virtually free money. And the adjustment from that is going to be very, very painful. As interest rates go up, it does make you wonder what's going to happen to bond stroke fixed interest uh, prices. I was very surprised this week a client transferred to us and one of the holdings was a gilt ETF. These exchange traded funds, in my opinion, are bought partly because they are very, very cheap um, to manage. And secondly, in order to give the client some exposure to low risk investments, that particular investment is yielding sub 2% and has a 20% loss on it. That I find very, very worrying. A lot of these cautious investments are full of fixed interest holdings. And as interest rates go up, which I think inevitably, John, as you've said, um, they're likely to do, then it's going to put more pressure on the capital values of fixed interest investments. Well, for several years now, we've deliberately left conventional fixed interest investments alone for that very reason, because there had to be at some point a jump in inflation and therefore interest rates were going to have to go up. So from our perspective, it's something that we're just not involved with anymore. Uh, with regard to ETFs, I think they're often bought by people who, who haven't a clue what they're doing. You touched on the fact that they're cheap. It, it's all painting by numbers box tick again. As you know, we don't, we don't buy ETFs and we don't really own any conventional gilt. There's a reason for that. Uh, it's all right saying an investment is safe in the sense that the lender can repay. That may be so. But if on the journey, you bought a, a, a redemption yield of one and a half percent. And by the time it gets to be repaid, redemption yields are four percent. No matter how safe that investment is in terms of getting, getting repayment, it will have been a terrible investment. Again, this industry confuses something that is safe in inverted commas and will be repaid with something that could be a good investment or, or might be a bad one. I suspect that a lot of folks who thought they had a inverted commas safe 
portfolio or a component of safe investments uh, are going to find out that even on gilts, you can lose a lot of money. I agree with that, John. I think a lot of it's to do with timescales. I mean, we only invest for five years plus, and I know that I would much prefer to own Nestle stock, uh, which has paid a dividend for the last 150 years. And even if it's a choppy ride, taking a longer term view, people will continue to eat chocolates and to drink coffee. That is where I would rather have my money and my clients' money invested in those type of stocks. If you have a business that has been doing all that for that length of time, they must be doing something right, mustn't they? They must have something that is is working well. I would rather be invested in an operation that can generate returns on capital of 15 to 20% or higher, rather than one that generates a return of, of 1.5% or 2%. So that's the very simple way that, that I look upon it. But as you allude to, you know, equities go up and down and they can be volatile. And I think that puts a lot of people off or they're scared of the relative short-term loss or returns that equities sometimes will confer. But if your time scale is on the time scale that ours is, you know, five, 10, well, let's go back to Buffett's famous quote, his favorite holding period is forever then these kind of problems fade into the background. So um, again, what, what are we investing for? Are we investing for absolute real profits over a sensible period of time? Or are we uh, investing for some kind of relative performance compared to a benchmark over you know, a very silly length of time? And uh, unfortunately, this industry gets seduced by the latter all too often. So talking about significant volatility over the weekend, I noticed that Bitcoin is now down 72% from its high. Um, what, what a and surprise. Tu- and touched $18,000. I'm with John. What a surprise. Before I give you a comment on Bitcoin, I would like to say that uh, you said something very amusing earlier, Duncan, when you were talking about uh, you, you were quite surprised that the client transferred, had a portfolio full of bonds i.e. the surprise was the fact that somebody transferred to us. I'm not surprised at all that people transfer to us because they're fed up with portfolios of ETFs, Bitcoins, bonds, you name it. And eventually um, they realise that, do you know what? There are people out there who can do the job properly. Anyway, uh, moving on to Bitcoin, we've, as long as I've known you two, We've always had this rule, if you don't understand it, don't buy it. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure even after all these years, I understand Bitcoin, so I'm not buying them. Now, nobody's explained it to me properly. I quite agree. The number of times I've thought when you've seen someone about to explain it or an article that is supposedly going to explain it, I think, well, I'll, maybe I'll be educated now. And you get to the end of it. And I think I still don't know what you're talking about no. because people are talking about the amount of electricity it takes to mine it and, and, th- and this kind of nonsense. Yeah. I, I do not see how that can have value compared to a dollar bill or a, a euro note or, or pound sterling. Um, It doesn't make any sense to me. Charlie Munger, Buffett's business partner, said the other day, he thought they were all worthless and he doesn't understand it. So if it's good enough for for Munger, the billionaire, it's it's more than good enough for me. Um, I don't understand it either. I totally agree with you. And I was just about to say, it's just like horse racing. Actually, it's worse than horse racing, because when you go to a horse race, if you're knowledgeable, 
you can look at the horses going around the ring and you can say, well, this one's limping, this one's got good forelocks, backlocks, or whatever they're called. You can place a relatively speaking knowledgeable it is a bet obviously but you know it's it's an informed bet if you know something about it bitcoin i'm constantly amazed by the amount of people who come up to me and say what i've made it my son's made a bit of money on bitcoin what do you think and i sort of think yeah he, he may well have done but i bet you he's not told you about the losses he made on bitcoin either you can always be lucky on these things but you know i think it's documented that in i think it was 1619 that somebody in, in Amsterdam, exchanged an Amsterdam townhouse for two tulip bulbs. Now, that's probably going to be one of the worst deals in history, other than when some Native Americans swapped Manhattan Island for some glass beads and a mirror or whatever it was. The, the fact that deals happen, it does not mean that they are done at a price that makes any sense at all. As far as I can see, all these crypto coins, um, in fact, I think we should replace the Y with an A, um, <laughs> are potentially valueless. I just don't get it. You could argue that the pebbles on my drive are worth $18,000. They're worth what someone's prepared to pay for them. And if at the moment uh, it's $18,000, it doesn't mean that they couldn't go to zero. And the fact that they were $50,000 doesn't mean that that was the right price either. So as you said earlier, if you don't understand it, don't get involved in it. And I think that will be the best way of looking at all these cryptocurrencies. One of the only O-levels I got an A in was Latin. And um, that was probably because I had a very good teacher. But there's this phrase, caveat emptor, uh, beware the buyer. And you know what? I'm good with that one. Yeah, that's good. And as the Romans said, you know, caveat crypto as well. <laughs> Do you know, that's the one phrase I didn't remember. <laughs> that brings us to the end of another podcast. Thank you, John. Thank you, Robert. And we will have another chat in due course. This material shouldn't be considered as advice or an investment recommendation. You should consult an advisor regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority prior to making investment decisions. All investments carry a degree of risk. The value of any investment or income received from it can go up as well as down and you may not get back the amount invested. Information recorded within this podcast was accurate at the time of recording.